a third championship, a rookie win, and mandated tyre stints. This week I'm talking all about the Qatar Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syrah, and this week I'm talking all about the Qatar Grand Prix. It was a sprint weekend this weekend, we're coming towards the tail end of the season, and there was a lot going on. So I'm just gonna dive right into it. I don't think there was actually a whole load of news coming out of F1 before the race weekend started. I think the only thing that we really had was the fact that Daniel Ricciardo had been in the AlphaTauri simulator and off the back of that they had opted to keep Liam Lawson in the car for another race minimum. Daniel had finished his sim work but he wasn't able to push to the full limit yet and so AlphaTauri and Daniel made the decision for him to sit out for one more race, leave Liam Lawson, go in the car for Qatar especially with it being a sprint weekend and there only being one practice, they didn't really want to push their luck there. Now the hope is that he will be ready in time for Austin and Cota out in America, but they are going to wait and see what happens then. I'm pretty sure he's probably going to do another simulator session before they make that decision. So yeah, we had Liam Lawson in for another race, but I think that was the only sort of big-ish piece of news that we had coming out of the weekend. It was actually a bit of a quiet news cycle for F1, which was strange, but that was probably because there was so much that actually happened during this race weekend. FP1 on Friday, or the only practice session the drivers had, was actually quite quiet. I think the drivers and the race engineers and teams just wanted to get a good feel for the track again. They haven't been there since 2021, which was the inaugural race, so even the drivers that had raced here before didn't have a vast amount of experience. No actual track layout changes to the LaSalle circuit, but they had resurfaced this track, so it was going to feel a little bit different. So after FP1, we had qualifying Friday evening in Qatar, and we had five drivers who had never been to this track before, and they were Alex Alban, Logan Sargent, Oscar Piastri, Kevin Magnussen, and Liam Lawson. You know what? It might actually be six, because I don't think Zhou Guan Yu has raced there yet either. I'm pretty sure the commentator said there were five people who hadn't driven there before, but I feel like it's six. Alex Alban wasn't racing in 2021. Logan Sargent, Oscar Piastri, Kevin Magnussen only rejoined in 2022. Liam Lawson, obviously. And yeah, show Guan Yu. So I'm pretty sure it's actually six drivers. I'm fairly sure. The LaSalle circuit was built and purpose-built for MotoGP for vehicles that have two wheels. It's a very different style of racing, a very different racing series to Formula One and single-seater racing. Just as exciting, but what they need from a circuit can be very, very different to what an F1 car or a four-wheel car might need. It's a lot more fast and flowing, the curbs are very different there, and so it does take a little bit of time for drivers to kind of get up to scratch with this circuit when they haven't been there before. LaSalle also tends to have a lot of sand come onto the track, the resurfacing meant that it was quite a green track anyway, and we didn't have any support races there over the weekend, so there was going to be a lot going on in qualifying. And I think what made qualifying also a little bit more difficult is that FP1 happened towards the daytime, so it was a lot warmer. Qualifying was happening after sunset, it was darker, the air was cooler, and it meant that the track was going to be a lot cooler as well. 
And let's add into that the issue of track limits, which did cause issues during qualifying and caused problems throughout the entire weekend. And we will get into that as well. But yeah, in Q1, we had Lando Norris having times deleted after he went to the top of the timesheets. We also saw Charles Leclerc, Pierre Gasly, Lance Stroll, Alex Albon, Kevin Magnussen all having times deleted because of track limits. And I think it just made qualifying in general and in Q1 a little bit more on edge for the teams and the drivers because even though they thought they were setting banker lamps or lap times that were quick enough to get them through to Q2, they were getting deleted. We did end up seeing Logan Sargent, Lance Stroll, Liam Lawson, Kevin Magnussen, and Zhou Guan Yu all knocked out in Q1. Now, most of those I don't think are a massive, massive surprise. I mean, four of those drivers have not driven on this track before. Lance Stroll, however, well, I think he caught a couple of F1 headlines after his exit in Q1. And not for the right reasons. There has been a lot said about Lance Stroll and his performance this year in Formula 1. Beginning of the season, the Aston Martin had absolutely incredible pace. And even at this point in the season, right? Okay, yes, they're not competing for podiums and pole positions like they were before. Fair enough. They are still a relatively quick car, though. Fernando Alonso is still getting that car into Q3. He is still getting points consistently for the team. So it's not like it's fallen right behind on the grid. Yes, it has been a struggle. And yes, we've heard Fernando Alonso complain about the pace of the Aston Martin recently. But it isn't an awful car. Lance Stroll, however, beginning of the season and now has been struggling. He's just not been able to keep up with Fernando Alonso. And... Look, I think towards the beginning of the season, after he came back from his injury and everything, it wasn't a night and day difference. Yes, Fernando Alonso was out qualifying and outscoring him during races. That much was very clear to see. But it wasn't like top and bottom of the grid from what I can remember. At the moment, though, that is what we're seeing. We're seeing Fernando Alonso qualifying into Q3, top 10 on the grid, and then Lance Stroll struggling to get out of Q1, not scoring points in a race weekend. And that, I think, really just boiled over for him in his Q1 exit this race weekend. Got out of the car and just was not happy at all. I have seen clips of him throwing his steering wheel out of the car. And I think we have all seen the clip of when he had gotten out of his car when it was in the garage, pushed his personal trainer, and then looked like he had pushed him again when he was trying to get out of the garage, sort of back into the hospitality area. And I don't think there is absolutely any excuse in someone putting their hands on a member of their team. I completely get that this has probably been a very frustrating season for Lance Stroll. It's not gone the way he has wanted it to. The car has been faster and he hasn't been able to really monopolise on that. Aston Martin will look like they are going to lose, what is it, fourth place to McLaren in the constructors and drop down to fifth which has got to be hard enough anyway when at one point you're in P2 in the championship. Lance has not been able to contribute as much to the team's points as Fernando Alonso. He's getting kicked out in Q1 during quali and the media pressure has been ever present for him. 
And it's been there for a while. For years, I think people and the media have turned around and really questioned whether Lance Stroll deserves to be on the F1 grid. Does he deserve his spot here? Is he just staying here because Lawrence owns the team? We should kick him out. We should get a younger driver in. But that's really amped up this year with Fernando Alonso alongside him. So I get that there has been a lot of outside pressure on top of the pressure your team might be putting on you, on top of the pressure that you are probably putting on yourself. But that does not excuse shoving and pushing a member of your team and your personal trainer who works very, very closely alongside you, even when it's not a race weekend, even outside of the racetrack. It was definitely, definitely interesting to see that. And yeah, I would be very interested to know where his head is at right now. Now, I'm going to talk about Lance Stroll and all of this and sort of the pressure mounting on him a little bit later on in the podcast. That's going to be when we get to the end of this sort of weekend recap and I look at how sort of each team has been doing over the weekend. But yeah, that was not a pleasant sight to see and it was completely unnecessary. Q2, we had some victims to track limits, sadly. And I think the ones that were the biggest surprise that got knocked out here were Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez. And I mean, let's be honest, I think the biggest surprise out of those who was Carlos Sainz getting kicked out of Q2 for both of them, it was because, yes, they had lap times deleted for exceeding track limits. And look, no offence to Sergio Perez, but yes, him getting into Q3 is more of a surprise these days. And I think him getting booted out of Q2 for Carlos Sainz is a little bit more of a surprise, I think. But They just weren't able to pull a lap together that was quick enough and also within track limits. So they ended up getting booted out alongside Yuki Tsunoda, Alex Albon and Nico Hulkenberg. And then in Q3, Max Verstappen, no surprise, ended up taking pole position. But I can't lie, this was a bit of a mess by the time we got to it. So Max Verstappen across the finish line, hit the fastest lap. I think it was obvious he was going to take pole position anyway. And then I saw Lando Norris in P2, George Russell in P3. And at that point, I was like, I'm going to go and make myself some dinner. I can catch up on all of the interviews later on, right? So pretty much as everyone had crossed the line, I'd gone into the kitchen, made food. And then I sat down to eat. And I log into social media after I finish eating. And I suddenly see Lewis Hamilton in P3. And I was so beyond confused because then I saw images of Oscar Piastri doing the post-quali interview. So I was like, okay, well, he somehow is in the top three as well. And yeah, it was once again because track limits were not fully sorted out by the time the drivers had finished quali and then started the post-quali interviews. But Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri ended up having track limit violations, which meant Lando Norris ended up finishing in P10 and Oscar Piastri in P6. George Russell got promoted to P2, Lewis Hamilton to P3 and Fernando Alonso in P4, which was gutting for both of the McLarens who were showing really wicked quick pace throughout qualifying. And that wasn't surprising because the LaSalle circuit has very similar characteristics to what Suzuka did. And that was not a fun sentence to say when I've got my Invisalign retainers in right now. But yeah, they are very similar circuits. I think everyone was expecting them to do well when they were out in LaSalle. And they were, but track limits were just causing an issue for them. So Saturday is then a full sprint day. We have sprint shootout followed by the sprint race. So... It was never going to be that straightforward. 
bear in mind, we've already had two sessions on Friday. We had FP1 and we had qualifying. Before sprint quality started, we had an announcement from the FAA and F1 saying that they had moved the track limits around turn 12 and turn 13 by I think it was around 80 centimetres. They had made the track narrower. Wonderful. You've done two sessions and then have changed the track limits, which is kind of like changing the track layout. Apparently drivers were not happy about this. Completely understandable. And apparently, from what I hear, they found out mainly from the press about these changes. And the FIA and Formula 1, and it's technically the FIA who are in charge of all the safety, they had changed the track limits by basically painting on the track. Pinnacle of motorsport everywhere, and we're just going to start painting on the track in the middle of a race weekend. Essentially, though, what the issue was, was that the curves at the littoral circuit had the potential and were causing damage to the tyres and the floor of the F1 cars. Now, like I said, LaSalle was purposely built for MotoGP. It's been used since 2004. It's a staple in the MotoGP calendar. The first night race MotoGP had was in LaSalle, right? F1 started using it in 2021 when Australia wasn't able to hold their Grand Prix because of the pandemic. But yeah, like I've mentioned, that means that there are going to be certain differences in a purpose-built track for MotoGP compared to Formula 1. And one of those things are the curbs, and those curbs do not agree with Formula 1 cars. And this is not a new phenomenon for this year, and I think this is where I don't fully understand what's gone on here, everyone. Because 2021, I think we saw four tyre failures because of those curbs. We saw Valtteri Bottas with a puncture, which ended up damaging his front wing. We saw George Russell with a puncture that ended up damaging his front wing. Nicholas Latifi got a puncture, ended up having to retire from the race because of it. So this isn't a new phenomenon for Formula 1 in Qatar. And yeah, you only have one use worth of data, but if those curbs have not changed, then you are going to expect to see the same sort of thing happening. Basically, when the tyres are getting onto those curbs, there are way too many oscillations happening and it risks the puncture and tyre failure happening, right? Apparently, the FIA and Pirelli had looked at the data they had gathered from FP1 and from qualifying and said, look, you know what? It's not going to be safe. We're going to have to draw these track limits out a bit more. So essentially, the drivers shouldn't even be anywhere near the curbs then because they would be violating track limits. And I know a lot of people were looking at Pirelli when this news came out and wondering, look, how are you doing this? How have you built tyres that aren't going to last and that have the risk of failure on tracks like this, right? The thing is, Pirelli are able to create sturdier, more durable tyres. Tyres that could last much longer in a race that are much stronger. But the FIA and really the FOM don't particularly want that. Having a stronger tyre means that you take strategy sort of out of the race and it makes it less entertaining. Races don't become as interesting when you have a tyre that could last for 80% of the race and you suddenly make the race a one-stop race instead of a two-stop, a three-stop. It's really going to depend on how well a car works with tyres and how well they can handle the tyre degradation. I think what my point is here, and maybe I'm looking at this in a far too simplistic way, but we knew from 2021 that the LaSalle circuit track was not great on Formula 1 tyres, that the curbs were not great on Formula 1 tyres, degradation was high, the oscillations on the curbs had caused punctures and failures. 
And I'm almost like, okay, I completely understand there being a certain entertainment factor that you want within the tires and the strategies. I get it. I enjoy strategy being part of a race. But for Qatar, could we not have just had a special studio set of tires that we knew would be able to withstand some of the oscillations and some of the degradation that we see at this circuit for driver safety more than anything else. And once again, yes, maybe that is way too simplistic. Maybe it's going against some of the sporting regulations. I don't know. Either that or we have to turn around and say, yeah, maybe it's not a great idea that Formula One races at a purpose-built MotoGP track. I digress, though. It was just a very interesting piece of news. But what happened before Sprint Quali was that the drivers were allowed a 10-minute familiarisation session. I think it was a max of 20 laps they were allowed to do around the circuit just to get used to these new track limits. And I do feel for the drivers here because a lot of their driving is muscle memory at a certain point. Drivers who have been to a circuit quite often, who have spent hours in the simulator, they're very good at knowing sort of when to change gears, when to turn, all of this sort of stuff. And I've seen videos, I think of Esteban Ocon or some other drivers on YouTube, where they close their eyes, they don't have a sim in front of them or anything, and they can tell you sort of, yep, in 30 seconds I would start braking because I would be at turn one and then I would change gears. And yeah, it gets built into their muscle memory, so this was going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. But if we thought track limits were bad during poly, sprint quality just made it worse because of those narrower track limits at turn 12 and 13. And to absolutely no surprise, we saw so many drivers with lap times being deleted in SQ1, Nico Hulkenberg, Logan Sargent, Pierre Gasly, Charles Leclerc, Lance Stroll, Joe Guanyu, and Lewis Hamilton. So a lot, a lot of track times and lap times, sorry, being deleted there. And Stroll once again getting knocked out in that very first quali session. SQ2, I think the surprise exit there was really Lewis Hamilton. He was another victim of track limits. Really, really struggled with those new track limits at turn 12, 13. But SQ3 was incredible for the sole fact that Oscar Piastri managed to get pole position for the sprint race. Absolutely amazing to watch him do that. He seemed so, so happy. Maybe a little bit jokingly hesitant when he first got interviewed, just in case they decided to hit track limits on him again. But he was completely safe. A really phenomenal qualifying sprint shootout session for Oscar Piastri. It was going to be his first ever P1 start on the grid in his Formula 1 career and in his rookie year. I don't think you can really go wrong there. Max Verstappen had to settle for P3, Landon Norris got P2 and then George Russell was in P4 so that Mercedes did have decent pace. And then we got to the sprint which was way more eventful than what I had expected there to be. I'm going to put it out there now. I was not looking forward to Qatar being a sprint race. I still did not particularly like the fact that we had a sprint race in Qatar. There was a lot that happened during that race. It was eventful. Do I think we should have had a sprint race there? No. I think my main issue with there being a sprint race there, especially this year, was the fact that, yeah, we had taken a year break out of the calendar for Qatar because of the World Cup in 2022 
absolutely fine. I understand that. But then you're going to come back to a track where the majority of drivers have only driven there once. After a year break, you're going to give them one practice session and then chuck them into their race weekend into Park Fermi. And I know obviously the FIA, Pirelli and Formula 1 couldn't have predicted it. But yeah, when you add on top of the fact you've kind of changed what the format of that racetrack is at a certain point, what the track limits are. Yeah, it was just not going to be the best in the world. But like I said, there was action to be had at the sprint race. Oscar Piastri actually had a really, really phenomenal start to the race. Lando and Max in P2 and P3, though, did not. Lando actually had quite a bad start. Max had a lot of wheel spin, which wasn't great. And that kind of opened the door for Oscar to be able to push ahead and away from those two drivers. And then George Russell was able to kind of push through and get into P2 on a set of soft tyres when most people around him were on the mediums. Liam Lawson did not make it past lap one though. He ended up beached in the gravel and that caused a safety car to come out so they could retrieve that. By lap four, we had another safety car for Logan Sargent, also beached in the gravel just further along the track. And for Liam Lawson and Logan Sargent, it didn't look like they had clipped anyone or had had a racing incident with anyone. It just looked like human error on their own part. So yes, we had another safety car there. Lap 10 then, bear in mind this was only a 20 lap sprint race. Perez, Ocon and Hülkenberg had all collided. And my heart was in my mouth when I watched that collision. We are so incredibly lucky that Formula 1 car's safety is so, so good because all those drivers came away unscathed, thankfully. It was just a bit of a sandwich. You had Hülkenberg in between Ocon and Perez, all of them just trying to make a move. Ocon was hunting down Hülkenberg. Perez was trying to make moves up the grid. He had had an absolutely awful start and I think was in P11 or he was in the midfield basically after qualifying fairly well. He got into SQ3 this time around, but just fallen back behind the grid. And they all ended up spinning and into the gravel. And you could tell Sergio Perez coming out of the car was not impressed at being caught up in all of that. Hulkenberg, though, actually managed to carry on driving. Ocon and Perez didn't. They had to wait for their cars to be retrieved. Hulkenberg carried on driving, went into the pits, I think, to see if he could change tyres and get, I think, a new front wing. In the end, Haas did have to retire him from the race. After that, though, and that safety car had ended after they'd retrieved Esteban Ocon and Sergio Paris's car, it was finally a team race. What we did see was a lot of the soft tyre runners just struggling on the track and the medium tyre runners just being able to gain a lot more pace advantage because of that. And our top five in reverse order, so in P5 was Lewis Hamilton, P4 was George Russell, P3 was Lando Norris, P2 was Max Verstappen, and in P1, with his first ever race win in Formula 1 from pole position, was Oscar Piastri. And what an incredible, incredible Saturday Oscar Piastri had. I don't think he could have dreamt it going any better. And once again, in his rookie year, I can't emphasise that enough. Max Verstappen, because he got more than three points in the sprint race and obviously Sergio Perez had DNF'd, it meant that he won his third consecutive World Drivers' Championship. So a massive, massive congratulations there. And yes, I will talk more about Oscar and Max later on in this podcast. 
Lewis making absolutely incredible gains on the grid as well. Had a phenomenal sprint race. Gained just a boatload of places and gained points to slowly close that gap with him and Sergio Perez in the Drivers' Championship for P2. And we did have two victims to track limits during this race. Charles Leclerc got a post-race five-second time penalty for track limits and ended up being dropped down to, I think, P12. Lance Stroll also got a five-second time penalty, but he was out of the points anyway, so it wasn't going to really make much of a difference for him. But, and I did post this setup on my Instagram, so follow me at stewards underscore office if you aren't already. But we had five DNFs over 20 laps. That averaged a DNF every four laps, which is insane to me. How in 20 laps did we get five DNFs? I don't think Qatar is really the best place for us to do a sprint race, especially when it's this aggressive on the tyres as well. George Russell was complaining about tyre degradation on lap 8 during one of the safety cars when he was on the soft tyres, which I think says it all, guys. Now, before the race on Sunday, the FIA mandated that tyres were only allowed to do a maximum of an 18-lap stint. This was once again because of tyre degradation and they were worried about tyre failure. So, driver safety is obviously top priority, which I completely and utterly agree with. And so they said 18 laps is the cutoff point. That was the rule that they put in place. And it did mean inadvertently it was going to be a mandatory three-stop race because of the amount of laps we had in the race and then the amount of laps the tyres were allowed to do. The FAA were going to take into account old tyres, so ones that weren't fresh, if they already had two laps on them from quality, that would count in that 18-lap stint. And this was going to be a pain for a lot of the teams because had they had known this from the start of the race, had the FA had enough information to make this decision right at the beginning of the race weekend, I'm sure Formula 1 teams would have been a little bit more economical in how they were using their tyres. But because they didn't know, they were using the tyres like they usually do during a sprint race weekend. They saved the amount of tyres they thought they were going to need for a two-stop race, which is what they were expecting Qatar to be. And instead, yeah, mandatory 18 amp stint, three-stop race. On top of that news, we also had Sergio Perez having to start from the pit lane after the crash that he had with Ocon and Hulkenberg. They had to reassemble his chassis and they also had to put a new PU unit in. And so he was starting from the pit lane for the race on Sunday. And then, very, very close to the race start, we had news that Carlos Sainz would not be competing in the Qatar Grand Prix. He had a fuel leak and a fuel system issue on the Ferrari and the mechanics just weren't able to fix it in time. I think it was detected quite late on in the day as well and they just weren't able to do anything about it. But let's go through some of the highlights from the Qatar Grand Prix. And it all kicked off during the first five seconds after the lights had gone out when Lewis Hamilton and George Russell had made contact causing both of them to go off track, Lewis Hamilton's rear tyre to come off of the car and him having to DNF from the race. Now, as you can imagine, the race radius afterwards, both drivers were essentially blaming each other, which isn't a surprise. That's what tends to happen. Post-race, though, or post-Lewis Hamilton's race, at least, he tweeted, put up an Instagram post and said to the media, yeah, look, you know what? I've watched the replays. It was 100% my fault. George had nowhere else to go on track. 
I squeezed him. He was in between me and Max. I didn't give enough room and therefore, you know, the incident happened. It spun me off of the track and obviously led to the end of his race and compromised George's race a little bit at the start. At least it made George go in for an early pit stop. Really not what Mercedes needed this weekend because with one Ferrari out of the running for the race, with them starting in P2 and P3, they had a huge opportunity to bank a massive load of points this weekend. And it would have meant that they could have just pulled away from Ferrari a little bit more on the constructors. But yeah, we had basically it was going to be George and Charles one-on-one in the race trying to get as many points as they could for the constructors championship. We also had Nico Hulkenberg then getting a five-second time penalty because he was in the wrong grid spot at the start of the race. So he had a five-second time penalty very early on. And then, look, I know some people said that this was an exciting race, but I didn't really get that from this one. I ended up looking at my timing screen a lot during this race on the F1 app, right? And normally I will look at this screen because I love seeing the data. I love seeing the close battles, who's in DRS zone, who's doing faster lap time. Some of the stuff that the commentators obviously can't cover because they can't cover absolutely everything going on track. This week, I felt like I need to look at the timing screen as a necessity because we're just getting really weird people up and down the grid. Like I think Alex Albon was running in P1 or something at one point. Or Zhou Guan Yu was very, very high up. And I had to look at what the tyre stints were on these cars to be like, oh, okay, yeah, he's only got five laps on his tyres compared to someone who's got 15. So yeah, he's going to be pitting soon. He's only just pitted, which is why he's further down. But it was a little bit messy, I feel, having these mandated tyre stints. And once again, completely understand why. But I think it did lead to me having to really look at the timing screens and all of the tyre history way more than usual. And tyre history is normally not one of the screens I look at on the F1 app. There was a lot of overtaking this weekend. We saw a lot more overtaking this weekend. I feel like that was mainly because there was sometimes an offset on tyres because some drivers might be using tyres that had five laps on them already. They might have had to stop a little bit sooner compared to the person that was behind them. And I think that's why we were seeing such a marked difference sometimes. We had so many drivers getting time penalties for leaving the track. We had Lance Stroll, Sergio Perez, Pierre Gasly, a couple of the other drivers just getting these five-second time penalties and racking them up because they were hitting track limits and... Yeah, I don't think it helped that obviously turn 12, turn 13 had those narrower track limits as well. But I think in general, not one of the most interesting races that I've seen. Max Verstappen, absolutely no surprise, won the race even with this mandatory 18 lap stint. He just had the pace for it. He could push a little bit harder on his tyres because unlike the other cars... Red Bull is phenomenally, phenomenally gentle on their tyres. But his margin to win in this race was probably one of the smallest we've seen this season. Oscar Piastri was in P2 and then Lando Norris was in P3. But I think it was sub five seconds, the difference between Verstappen and Piastri crossing the line. So McLaren are catching up slowly. They are getting there little bit by little bit. They're getting the performance into their car. The drivers are able to extract even more out of it the more they get used to this car. And yeah, maybe it is because Qatar is suited to their car a little bit more compared to other tracks. But 
I think it's so promising to see that gap slowly, slowly closing. Would I love for it to be sub one second, the gap between Max in P1 and then any other car? Yeah, of course. In an ideal world, that is what we'd be seeing in F1. And hopefully that is what we are working towards. But for now, sub five seconds is amazing. Now, the other thing to point out in this race before I talk about some of the issues that were present for a lot of the drivers was the fact that we did have another DNF along with Lewis Hamilton and that was Logan Sargent through no fault of his own really he was so so unwell and we heard two or three radios between him and his race engineer he had said to him some race engineer down the radio like I'm not feeling well couple of laps later, Logan Sargent ends up saying, yeah, you know what, I think I need to pull in. And you could tell how upset he was down the radio about this. He was just not looking very well when he pulled his visor up. You could see how red and sweaty his face was. And I think that brings me into what I really want to talk to about Qatar. F1 is a great sport to watch. It's amazing watching these pro athletes doing what they do best in some of the fastest cars in the world. Never ever do I want to see an F1 driver put their health at risk for a race. And I think most fans, if not all fans of the sport, think the same thing. Doesn't matter how much you love the sport, doesn't matter how much time you spend watching it, if you quit content about it, if you pay to go and watch a Grand Prix, nothing should come above that athlete's safety and well-being or any member of F1 team members, all the rest of it. Nothing should come above their health and safety. And what we saw today, what you saw in the media pens, in post-race interviews, in Logan's retirement, were F1 drivers who really severely struggled after this race. Logan Sargent ended up having severe dehydration, which is why he had to retire. And I think the worrying sign for me after we heard his radio where he said, yeah, I'm going to come in, I'm going to need to retire. It's like, yeah, he slowed down. And I think he was like, I'm just going to let these cars pass. I'm not trying to battle any of them. He had veered off the track. And I was like, he must really be feeling unwell if he can't keep his car on track right now because he's not retiring because of a car failure like we see sometimes and they have to pull up on the side. The car just swerved onto the side and was like, yeah, he must really be unwell for him not to be able to drive that car straight. But that wasn't the end of it. Every single driver coming out of the car just looked awful. At one point, we saw an onboard of George Russell with his hands when he was going down the main straight off of the steering wheel. And I was wondering what was going on. I was like, is he okay? Is he just hurt his hands at some point? No, he was trying to get air into his car and onto his hands through his gloves. He had his visor up. So he was another driver that was struggling. Yuki Sonoda had said, yeah, he'd pulled his visor up at one point to try and get some air in. All he got was a face full of sand. Apparently, Esteban Ocon had managed to throw it up in the car by lap 15. Fernando Alonso had had a radio message saying, yeah, guys, is there a chance you could just throw some water over me in the pit stop because it is boiling? We had Max Verstappen and Oscar Piastri just laying down in the cool down room, just not having the energy. Lance apparently turned around in his interview in the media pen saying, yeah, the reason I had so many track limit infringements, because he was one of the drivers that was racking up a couple of penalties, is because he felt like he was basically passing out during the high speed corners and he was that unwell because of it. So he couldn't even see where the white line was and where the track limit was. 
We had George turn around and say that he thought he was going to faint. Apparently, Lando turned around and said, yeah, people are passing out in the medical centre. None of this should be normalised in Formula One. This isn't a case of turning around and being like, oh, look at how resilient they are. Look at how hard they train. There has to be a limit. And drivers throwing up in helmets, passing out, feeling like they could pass out having severe dehydration to the point that the FAA medical team had to go and check out Logan Sargent to make sure that he was okay, and thankfully he is. Absolutely none of that is okay. Now, this was not the case during Qatar in 2021, and that's because that Grand Prix was held a month later, towards the end of November. And yes, that month made a world of difference in terms of the weather. And thankfully for 2024, we are going to be seeing Qatar right at the end of November. Literally, the race is the 1st of December. So the weather and the temperature should have dropped significantly by that point, or at least enough that we're not hearing about drivers throwing up, facing dehydration and passing out. Like I said, yeah, we we all love Formula One. We love watching our favourite drivers and our favourite teams race, but at no point do I ever want to hear about any kind of driver, whether you dislike a driver or not, we should never ever want to hear them throwing up, passing out, dealing with dehydration. Never should anything be done at the detriment to your health. And I mean, this isn't just a rookie problem. Obviously, yeah, Logan Sargent retiring early. Oscar Piastri in his post-race interview said this was probably the hardest race of his life. But we also saw Max Verstappen post-race just looked so exhausted in the face. You could really tell that this was a struggle for him. And Fernando Alonso, the most experienced driver on the grid, the fact that he was struggling with his car seat burning up, it says it all, guys. I'm going to be very, very interested if the FAA, F1, or any of the teams come out and say anything after this. They might not, for all I know. They may not say anything. But yeah, I think seeing the state of some of these drivers and them having to come out of the car and then go straight into major as well, it's just, it's not something you particularly want to see. And it really makes you struggle and you you can't for me you can't really enjoy post-race celebrations for any of your drivers whether they're on the podium whether they managed to score points today it's really hard to be able to celebrate any of that when you can see how hard they're all struggling but that is what I wanted to say on that let's just have a look at how all of our teams did over this race weekend though and of course we will be starting off with first in the constructors and our current constructors champions Red Bull Racing now, I was going to say this was a flawless weekend from Max Verstappen. That's normally my go-to when I talk about Max's weekends. However, no pole position during the sprint quality session and no race win during the sprint race. Very close to flawless, so let's be honest, right? I think when you're saying that him not winning but still getting podiums and top threes and qualies and races is a not great weekend for him. That's really saying something about the state of his season right now. But I think regardless of all of that, we absolutely have to talk about the fact that this man is now a three-time world champion. This was never, ever going to be in doubt for Max Verstappen. I don't think anyone really thought after the first three, four races of the season that he was going to struggle to win this championship. Red Bull had just flown away from the start of the season with this car. So I think bare minimum, we knew it was going to be a battle between both Red Bull drivers. 
But the level of consistency that Max has had and the domination in that car was something that Sergio Perez was just not able to compete with. Early on in the season, it was definitely the consistency. He had some races where he could kind of compete, maybe get a race win here and there, maybe get a pole position here and there. And then as the season went on, it's almost like the confidence got knocked out of him. Max got so, so much more comfortable with the car, pulled much bigger leads, and Sergio Perez could not keep up. And it just opened the doors to Max Verstappen to turn around and be like, yep, okay, I'm just going to go and get my third driver's championship now. Thanks, bye. And that's essentially what he did. And even though we had that battle a little bit towards the beginning of the season, I don't know how many people really thought Max Verstappen was going to come out of that battle the loser. But yeah, he is now a three-time world champion, has won those three championships consecutively with Red Bull as well. I mean, what more is there to say? This has been just an excellent season for him and from him. He's produced amazing, amazing results, results most drivers will dream of in their career. And he's just managed to seal off this championship now earlier than Abu Dhabi and can really, really enjoy the next couple of races. I think he's enjoyed all of his races, to be fair, because he knew between him and the car, he wasn't really going to have a problem. But I think knowing that both the constructors and the drivers is fully wrapped up, there's completely and utterly no pressure now for the next couple of races. You're driving just to win the race, not to sort out the drivers or constructors championship, which has got to be quite nice. So a massive congratulations to him for his drivers championship. Sergio Perez, on the other hand... It was a bit of a nightmare again for him, wasn't it? Let's be honest. He picked up no points after his DNF in the sprint race and was in P10 as of right now, as of recording, in the Grand Prix. I say as of right now because I don't know. Maybe we'll see more track limits come out this evening, but I'm recording this at like half past nine on Sunday and I haven't seen anything yet and I'm hoping that we won't have any more updates for my sake more than anything else. But yeah, one point out of the whole race weekend, when there's a sprint race as well, when your teammates just tied up his driver's championship, when you are driving the most dominant car in Formula 1, you've come away with one point. I don't know what more there is to say about Sergio Perez that I haven't said, that the media haven't said. Sergio Perez really just needed to maximise his Grand Prix though because after that Lewis Hamilton DNF even though Sergio Perez was starting from the pit lane it just gave him so much more of a chance right because Lewis had been starting in P3 DNF you had every chance to try and maximize the amount of points you could gain to try and pull away from Lewis in the driver's championship instead Lewis has managed to walk away with more points this weekend than Sergio Perez and has closed that gap by about three points, which, okay, yeah, not loads, but really we should see Sergio Perez pulling away from Lewis in that car. And we're not. Like I said, I don't think there's really much more to add on Sergio Perez that hasn't been rehashed multiple, multiple times. So we will leave that there. Mercedes, ah, it's a tale of ups and downs. Sprint was very good for them, P4 and P5. The race for George excellent recovery drive from him there's no taking away from that he finished in p4 after dropping down to i think about p17 after the incident with lewis and that early pit stop as well so a really amazing recovery drive the mercedes obviously had a fair bit of pace during this race and what i was expecting to anyway that incident though i think mercedes have had a couple of incidents or near incidents with their drivers over the past couple of races 
over the course of this season. And this one, you know, Lewis puts hands up and said, yeah, I, I didn't give enough room. And I don't think that was maliciously. So I don't think, you know, they're trying to take each other out at the end of the day. But if incidents like this do keep happening between the two of them, there is the risk that tensions will boil over, sides of the garages won't get along. And if Mercedes at any point while both those drivers are in the car manage to create a car that can battle for a championship they're going to struggle if they don't have that harmony within the team they have two drivers that can go neck and neck very very easily they are always within a couple of tenths of each other very competitive drivers and yeah i think for mercedes fans the hope is that the drivers will be able to get along that we won't see mounting pressure from the team and from either of them and that there isn't any underlying tension. Like I said, this was a racing incident in my opinion. I don't think either driver was doing anything maliciously. Lewis has held his hands up and taken responsibility for it. I think it will just become more of a concern if we keep seeing incidents or near incidents like this happen consistently. But yeah, really a tale of up and down and sort of everywhere with Mercedes this weekend. Ferrari, I mean, it was a fairly quiet weekend for them, I think, in general. Not a whole load going on. Charles Leclerc got P5 in the race, obviously going for Carlos Sainz not to be able to race at all. But yeah, just a little bit of a quiet one, I think, for them between the sprint and the race. There was nothing to really point out with them, which I think for Ferrari fans is probably a good thing because it has also meant that yeah they didn't mess up with anything they didn't mess up with any of their pit stops or anything from what i could tell so yeah well done ferrari for having a quiet weekend aston martin i mean i've already touched upon lance stroll and the issues he had during qualifying i don't know i think his reaction after friday qualifying has made me question how much he really wants to stay in the sport at this time and whether the pressure is really getting to him realistically, either of his own accord or Aston Martins, I don't think he's going to stay beyond 2024. If he races next year and it doesn't go well and it is more of a repeat of what's happened this year, then yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be staying on any longer and that'll either be because Aston Martin opt to drop him from their lineup or because he opts to leave. There is the potential that he might want to leave at the end of this season for all we know. Weirder things have happened. He might decide after the season is over that he is done and wants to walk away from Formula One. And that's not to say that he'll walk away from racing. He might join another form of motorsport. Aston Martin have obviously announced that they're going to be joining WEC in 2025. So potentially he might decide to join Aston Martin over there. I think Aston have said, yeah, we're not going to be using Lance or Fernando for Le Mans or for WEC. But I mean, you never know, do you? So uh, I don't know. I just think the amount of frustration that Lance has shown, especially during quali and after quali on Friday, between pushing his trainer and then also his media interview afterwards as well, which was quite short i just don't know whether the pressure is getting a bit too much for him fernando alonso fairly quiet-ish weekend been a little while since he started in the top four during a grand prix so that was quite nice for him but yeah 
I think he's doing the job that he always does for that Aston Martin, especially towards this end of the season. It's been a little bit slower, a bit more on the back foot. He's just scoring consistent points for the team and doing what they need him to do. McLaren or Oscar Piastri? I mean, pole position for sprint, P1 in the sprint, P2 in the race. What a weekend. I think for me watching... Oscar Piastri right now is magical and amazing in a lot of ways, right? So we have drivers like Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen on the grid, multiple world champions. And I'll be honest with you guys, I was not watching Formula One at the start of any of their careers, or definitely not Fernando Alonso's. I remember watching bits of Formula One when Lewis Hamilton was in the McLaren, but I think that was when it was still on like ITV. But yeah, I've never watched any of these drivers' careers right from the start, right? When they first entered Formula One, watching their rookie year, watching them slowly grow and get their championship titles and their race wins and their podiums and hitting the history books at a young age, right? And watching the making of these drivers. But I'm so excited that I get to see that with Oscar Piastri because I'm not someone that will say this about a lot of drivers. I think sometimes there are people who will say this about every driver oh he's history in the making he's the next great thing he's the next Lewis Hamilton Fernando Alonso always going to be like Max Verstappen I'm really hesitant to say that about drivers but with Oscar Piastri I just have such a good feeling about this driver I think he's got a really good head on his shoulders he's very mature both in general and when he is racing amazing dry sense of humor as well when he's doing all of his interviews racecraft is just improving race on race And he's such an exciting young talent for us to watch. And I think if he ends up going on to be one of the great multiple world championship winning driver, it's just going to be phenomenal to say, yeah, I watched him in his rookie year, his first race start where he did DNF. But I watched him then go from that to getting his first front row start, his first P1 start, his first race win or sprint win to do all of these amazing things in his rookie year and then continue to grow. And I think that's the great thing. He is a driver that has so much more still to learn. And that only comes with time and experience. And, you know, McLaren have signed him now with that contract extension. So he's going to be sticking around with them for a little bit longer. So, yeah, just really excited to watch Oscar Piastri just carry on building on his racecraft and his career over the next couple of years. It's going to be great to see. Lando Norris, I think by his own accord, did not have the best weekend, especially when it came to quality. I think he was quite disappointed. He definitely had pace in quality, but those track limits just caught him out. But still a very, very good weekend for him. Podiums in both the sprint race and during the Grand Prix. And McLaren as a whole are really, really closing in on Aston Martin for fourth in the constructors. I've got no doubt that they're going to be taking that. They're getting consistent podiums and consistent points with both of their drivers. And that's the key thing right now. I think Aston could have potentially afforded not scoring as high as them for the rest of the season. But when you've only got one driver right now that's consistently scoring those points, that is what's holding them back. Alpine, I mean, Esteban Ocon ended up having another DNF, which I really don't want to talk about. I just, yeah... Wonderful, wonderful times for Esteban Ocon. The race wasn't horrible for him, though. Pierre Gasly had time penalties. Alpine are just doing Alpine things at this point. I just think the majority of the rest of the grid now, after McLaren, yeah, it was just 
they were good races. Alfa Romeo, actually. Alfa Romeo, both drivers in the points. Very, very grateful to see that both Valtteri Bottas and Shou Guan Yu, they've not had the best season and not because of either of their driving, but because of the state of the Alfa Romeo car. Shou Guan Yu was starting at the back of the grid during the race as well. So the fact that he managed to get into the points and yes, of he did benefit from other drivers getting time penalties, but I mean, he easily could have gotten a time penalty himself, but he stayed within track limits, drove a very, very good race. And yeah, he managed to score some points. So very exciting times for Alfa Romeo right now. And what that has meant is that Alfa Romeo have jumped into eighth in the Constructors' Championship with Haas bumping down to ninth they didn't gain any points during the Grand Prix Williams yeah didn't get any points Logan Sargent obviously had that DNF Alex Albon had a time penalty as well and then yeah no points for Alpha Tauri I thought they were gonna have a better outing here than they did in Suzuka well I thought it was going to be quite similar to Suzuka and they were very close to the points. So I thought, okay, yeah, maybe we'll see a points finish for one of the drivers. But it just wasn't meant to be. A driver of the day and my driver of the weekend, to be honest, is, if you haven't already guessed it, Oscar Piastri. I just think he had a really amazing weekend. I mean, I've waxed lyrical about him in this podcast now, but I think he is well and truly deserving of it. I mean, as a rookie, this has just got to be a dream weekend for him. He's taken home two trophies. Well, a trophy and a tablet sort of thing. I never know what the heck the sprint race medal tablet things are actually meant to be. I kind of wish they actually give you a proper medal instead of these weird tablet things. But yeah, whatever. He's taking home two pieces of silverware, basically, right? Taking home a pole position. Yes, it's in the sprint race, but it's still a pole position. I don't think I could really give driver of the day to anyone else but Oscar Piastri. We do not have a race next weekend. But after that, F1 are going out to Austin to Cota for the American Grand Prix. And then we have a triple header. So Cota will be a sprint race. Then I think it's Mexico for Sergio Perez's home race. Let's hope that he has a better race there. And then we are out to Brazil, one of my favourite tracks of the season, for yet again another sprint race. But yeah, we have a week break before we head into that triple header. We really are coming towards the end of the season now. But even though there is no Formula 1 next weekend, I will be back with another podcast episode. It's going to be another weird and wonderful Formula 1 episode. This one does link to an American Grand Prix as a hint, so I'm very much looking forward to recording that one and sharing it with you guys. But yeah, make sure you come back here next Tuesday at 9am for another episode of Weird and Wonderful F1. Thank you guys so, so much for listening and make sure you follow me on TikTok and Instagram at stewards underscore office and I will see you guys next time you're summoned to the stewards office.